Good morning, Summit Crossing family. We are still here in the lobby, as you are still at home on your couch. But there are some good things happening, and I want to keep you uh, aware of them. Um, I miss you very much, and I know you miss each other and seeing each other. Um, but there are some good things happening. Now, this haircut that I gave myself is not one of them. Um, but what I wish I could do is just take you with me as we drive um, Mondays and Thursdays and, and distribute food throughout Limestone County, uh, driving to homes and dropping off food to those that can't get to where the food is being given out from some of the county school children. Um, there are op opportunities for the gospel that are abounding and they will continue to happen for the next few weeks. Um, so many of you are helping by donating or volunteering your time or helping organize or driving food yourselves. So thank you. It's so encouraging to see um, many churches and organizations and schools working together for the good of our community. Man, that is one good thing for sure that has come out of this pandemic, and I hope that that doesn't end. I, I don't want it to return to normal if that means that we stop working together for the gospel at all. So with the idea of, of re-entry on our minds... Um, and in response to the governor's press conference this week, I want you to know that the elders have been meeting and we have been praying and we will continue to do so about how to best move forward during this time. I, I'm your pastor, uh, for most of you at least, and that is very different um, than being a boss or a coach, and I recognize that. And so... With that being said, if you have chosen to listen and you've chosen to kind of attend here and to be all in, I think you know that we love you enough to try to step into the space that God, uh, that the Bible gives us, that God has given us as leaders to lead well. And so um, I want you to hear our hearts. Um, I'm concerned, um, not so much for the direct results of the pandemic going forward. I think we've done fairly well there. Um, but more for the near future as we re-enter to re-engage life as we knew it uh, pre-pandemic. Uh, maybe just in the, what we sow in the next few weeks will reap a harvest or could reap a harvest for years to come. We're entering a trial, to use Peter's words, in chapter 1. Uh, not the, re the direct result of the pandemic, but the indirect results uh, more so. And how are we going to move forward together? Difficult and potentially divisive uh, decisions will have to be made about how we do that, when we do that. Some of you will not agree, and that's okay. But what's more important is how we disagree, right? That's important, and it, and it may be too soon for some of you when we do what we do, and it may be too late for some of you. And there are a host of things that could be divisive. We don't want the good that the Lord has brought out of this pandemic to be nullified by the way that we treat one another as we re-enter and we exit these unprecedented times. The world is watching and we must walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the Lord Jesus Christ with humility, with gentleness. We should display true Christianity. It's important that we hear what the Word of God has to say through Peter to the family of God in exile under distressing situations and circumstances, struggling with anxiety, and how he instructs them on how God calls us to live in such times. Last week, we put more context in 1 Peter, uh, looking at the writer. This week, we're looking at the readers and who they are and what he's calling them to. So here are three points for this morning. Number one, our condition. And the condition in 1 Peter is suffering or anxiety, right? Uh, number two is our position, and that's our identity. 
What does Peter, what does the Bible tell us about our position in Christ? And then finally, our, our position must guide our condition. All right, so those are our three points this morning. Let's read God's word to set the stage for us again. Number one, uh, uh, chapter one, verse one and two. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ Jesus and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, if you'll notice, Peter brings two seemingly incompatible truths together. Our status in Christ right alongside suffering. And he brings them together in the elect exiles, and here's who you are. Our, our condition and our position, if you will. And then he tells us how to live. So let's look at number one, our condition. Our condition is where we find ourselves, our situation, our circumstances. For the readers of 1 Peter, it's exile under suffering, um, trials, anxiety, uncertainty. as when any of this is ever going to change again. What's an exile, you may ask? As somebody who had a home. They lost their home. They need a home and are living somewhere and, and while they wait, and, and they feel it, right? It's, you feel like an outsider because you are an outsider. You're not comfortable. It's kind of an ugly duckling uh, scenario. You just don't fit in, and there's an element of homesickness tied to it. When I go on a mission trip for two or three weeks and I go to India or Nepal or, or, or wherever we go, um, I, I'm good for about a week because I love excitement and adventure and the newness and I, I love just all, all, all that's involved in that. But after a while, I just miss sitting on the couch with my wife and hugging my kids and, and, and being comfortable in, in the surroundings that I'm, I'm good with, right? The excitement wears off and strange food and customs become foreign in, in, in a new way and, and different beds every night and expectations and I get a longing in my soul that's kind of always in the background even as I go forward through the rest of the trip. That's kind of the flavor that we're talking about here. Do you have this longing, that constant longing for, for heaven in the background of your life? Because we truly are exiles. But let's look at, look at what the Bible says more in depth. Toward the end of the Old Testament, um, due to the people of God, const, their constant unbelief, they're conquered by outside nations. All right, We know that the northern kingdom fell to uh, Assyria, 722 B.C., and then the southern kingdom, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, uh, fell in 586. And most of those that were not killed in battle were, were taken away as exiles or, or into exile in Babylon. It's a foreign and unfamiliar place. The, the people of God no longer uh, were in the promised land. There was no priesthood. There was no temple. There were no routine activities. They had no home. And when Persia came to power, King Cyrus let uh, the children of Israel return to their land in waves. And, and their first return was led by Zerubbabel. And he kind of came back and built the temple, uh, a spiritual emphasis. Ezra, the, the priest, built he rebuilt the people with the social emphasis. And then finally, Nehemiah came back and he rebuilt the wall. And so that would be the infrastructure uh, of the city and protection. Right? And so we see that, that in the meantime, between when they were exiled and when they came back, they lived in Babylon. And here's what the Lord says to the prophet, prophet Jeremiah in uh, Jeremiah when that, while they were in, in Babylon. Let's we'll start with chapter 29 and verse 4. Let me read. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile, from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Sounds a little familiar for us now during this pandemic. Soon, soon it will be over, but let's soak in the moment and, and try to identify a little bit with the children of Israel. No building to go to for worship, no familiar routines, not sure about the return or, or how we're going to get back to the way things used to be. Lots of uncertainty. There's no switch to just flip and make it go back to the way it was. And honestly, we are exiles in this world. Whether we realize it or not or feel it or not, we do not fit. This world is not our home. The heat's just turned up right now and you feel it more. Or you should. While exiles are waiting to go home, God's people are called to live as sojourners, travelers, pilgrims, just passing through to steward the moment well, knowing that their true home is in heaven. They're not to moan and mope and worry, navel gaze. I don't know if you know that word, navel gaze. My, you know, if you look at your belly and just, woe is me, and you walk around, you know, that's navel gazing, just focused on ourselves and, and how terrible things are. They're not. He says, own where you are, realize I sent you there into exile, care and, and seek the welfare of the city that you're in. And from that, you will find your welfare. Not seek your welfare and then you will find it. That's of the world. God says, seek the welfare of the city and where you find yourself, to where he has placed us. And then that's where you find your welfare. That is countercultural. Being willing to lay down our lives, lay down our interests, our liberties, sometimes our preferences and our opinions, our money, our rights, for the greater good of the kingdom of God, not our kingdom. This quarantine should exacerbate this feeling of not our home, and if it doesn't, maybe we're too comfortable and we've forgotten that this isn't our real home. What about you? What do you think? Are you feeling too at home or not enough at home? Do you feel the tension? Pandemics have a way of waking people up. Peter says, Christians, you are in exile. This world has nothing for you. It's not your home. Don't build too comfortable a life. Do not look to be satisfied by it. Simply own it. Embrace this truth. We are not home yet. All right, let's look at number two, our position or our identity. This is my, one of my favorite parts. Peter, Peter reminds the exiles in verse two. He says who, who, are, who are putting who they are and who their, their position in Christ is, what it is. And it's from this Trinitarian uh, statements that he gives us. Look, number one, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, Number two, being sanctified by the Spirit. And number three, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Gracious, the, the rest of the book is basically a commentary on these two verses alone. The Father 
chose us. And whatever translation you use, NASB, NIV, ESV, New King James, whatever it is, it's either elect or chosen is the word. And that may not seem fair to you. And you would be right. It's not. It's not fair. But fair is not what you want when you approach a holy God. You don't. You want mercy. You don't want justice. You don't want to get what you deserve, which is hell. We have been chosen, not because of any good works or merit on our part, and that, that never gets old. <laughs> my children are not my children because they're good. You may be my children as long as you're good. That would not work out well for them. But thank goodness that is not the way that it works. And foreknowledge here, in this verse, in verse 2, it is not that he foreknew what we would do, what we would choose, and then therefore he responded to that. No, it means that he foreknew us, who we are. Like later in verse 20 of the same chapter, he says, For he, talking about Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. Or like in Romans 8, where he foreknew us. He foreknew us. We bring nothing to the table. He freely drew us in. He came after us in our brokenness and our sin. And he, and he didn't wait till we cleaned ourselves up, but he crawled down in the cesspool of our sin where we were, not running to him, but from him. And he opened our eyes. And while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, Christ died for us. <laughs> Such good news. Wow, I could just I could stay there. He's so merciful. I'm so thankful. No, we don't deserve it. That's what's so amazing about it. That's what, why grace is amazing. It's not, oh, well, just normal old grace. It's, it rocks us. It changes us. It is part of transforming our hearts, the fact that we don't deserve it at all. Man, I hope your heart is singing right now. You just sit on the couch, and you may have a three-year-old bouncing up and down on you and a one-year-old over there, and you're just like, just if one thing lands on you today, may it be that the grace of God covers you. You are allowed into the holy presence of God because he wants you. You aren't just tolerated. You're wanted, you're chosen, you're adopted. You're a child of God. He knew what he was getting. <laughs> Number two, uh, now we see that the, the Spirit is sanctifying us to live freely for him, right? To be set apart for God, by God, to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ Jesus. We see in Romans 8, while we walk this land as exiles, we are walking in the name of our Savior and declaring and displaying the gospel that we receive to others that we come in contact with. This is a process that continues till Jesus comes back. It's what the abiding practices or the spiritual disciplines that we're doing little short segments for that you can find on our page. It's what they're for. They're put ourselves in a position before the Spirit and say, and know that we can't transform ourselves. We can't change our minds and we can't transform anything about us that we have to be, that has to be done by the Holy Spirit, by Him and Him alone. That we move from glory to glory, from faith to faith, and that is by His transforming power. 
Finally, uh, it, it says to be obedient to Jesus and sprinkled with his blood. That This is an allusion to a practice in the Old Testament uh, that Moses did. They would sacrifice animals and then they would sprinkle their blood like at Mount Sinai. They would uh, sacrifice an ox and then sprinkle the blood on the people or, or on the altar in different places. And it was for purification. It was for forgiveness of sin. It, sin is what separated us from God. Just like in the garden where uh, Adam and Eve were first uh, exiled from God's presence and God killed an animal literally and covered them with the skin of the animals blood paid the price and covered their sin and so we're reconciled to God also through sacrifice except Hebrews tells us that the blood of goats and bulls it never actually removed our sin it just pointed forward to the perfection or the perfect blood that was pure enough to remove sin once and all for all of us Jesus his blood Obedience to Jesus and forgiveness through his blood, those two things go together in in verse 2 there. They they aren't here by accident. No, we obey because we are forgiven. Because we are accepted. Not so that we will be. I mean, that's that's the difference between religion and the gospel, right? (laughs) That we don't obey so that we will be forgiven. That would be religion. It's not Christian. We obey because we are forgiven, because we just love Jesus so much and what he's done for us and that by his grace and through the power of the spirit, we can obey now. We can follow what he calls us to do, that that we rest in what he has done, that he made a payment for uh, the debt for our sin, that he brought us back to God forever. And so let's be the real deal. Not in name only, but walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Jesus. Living a a life of exile is not new to God's people. So what I want you to see here. It will not change until Jesus returns. We are an exilic people. And this pandemic forces us to feel now more of what that really is. This is not your home. Please don't get too comfortable. You, you feel the tension. Just look on Facebook, the comments, the news reports, the articles, walking through the grocery store, watching people in masks buy things. I wear one. I mean, right, standing six feet apart. We've got blue tape on the ground. This just feels weird. You got people on both sides of the equation. That's crazy. You shouldn't do that. Or, man, I just, I'm not really sure. This, let's take precautions. We're, we're all over the map. Peter says, if you're in the Lord, you're a pilgrim without a home until Jesus comes back. And we need, he says, embrace that. Do not push it away. Own it. Finally, three, our position must guide our condition. What does that mean? That who we are must underlie and inform what we do, how uh, we respond to the condition that we find ourselves in. Uh, A friend of mine says, our be must inform our do right and so it's how do we live going forward in this strange time and i'm speaking not just um in general but maybe as we re-enter life here in the next few weeks number one we need to trust in god that this is no accident that by the foreknowledge he chose you he chose israel to go into exile he chose us to be where we are he determined our boundaries and our times this is not A surprise, God is not up in heaven wringing his hands going, oh no, what are people going to think of me now? No, Psalm 115.3 says, 
that he is in heaven and he does as, his please, as, as he pleases. He's not thrown off. We are. <laughs> it's called the plan, God's plan of salvation, not God's at random of salvation. There's great peace that comes from knowing that God will provide for his children. Now, secondly, we must know who we are, that we are chosen, that we're being sanctified, that we are forgiven by Jesus, that we embrace our exile, that it will help, it will help us loosen our grip on this world. It will encourage us to live on mission for God's kingdom over our own, wherever we find ourselves, whatever conditions and suffering and persecution that we find ourselves in, whatever uncertainty uh, just seems to be all around us. Peter mentions uh, our conduct and uses the word conduct 11 times in his letter. How we treat others, those that are different from us, those that think differently from us, the unsaved Gentiles, how, how are they uh, observing the, the, the conduct of the Christians? He finds that very important because it's evidence of the gospel that's in us and it will give more thanks to Jesus in the future is what he says a little bit later in chapter 1. See, the church is being watched right now by media, by neighbors. Uh, what we are sowing in the next few weeks, we will reap later. What are we sowing? Is it anger, panic, fear, proud flesh, division? We don't want that harvest. What does social, our social media say about believers? I'm not asking you to be a nice person. I'm really not. I'm asking you to be godly. And there's a world of difference. You can be nice without being a Christian. But to be godly is totally different. What do you need to live like that? That's where Peter's getting to. Especially during a stressful time when we're uh, a society trying to re-enter normal life. Right? We must be ready because the enemy is going to try all that he can to divide the church at this time. You'll need the gospel. You'll need what Peter says, grace and peace to be multiplied to you. To respond appropriately, your flesh is not good enough. You can't just decide to be a nice person. You don't have what you need to respond to the things that you're going to need to respond to. And so I want us to be prepared. Difficult and potentially divisive decisions are coming. And different responses uh, to this return are going to happen. Uh, I think of the illustration like this, and I've been in ministry doing this for maybe 17 years now, and we've seen when, when young families have their first child, uh, there's a, a few different responses, but the, the two extremes are going to be um, you have your first child, and a week later you're at church, and you bring your new baby in, and you're like, you just kind of carry on. And then another response would be, you have your first child and you're like, oh my goodness, you know, we don't want them to, them to get sick or anything like that. And you don't come back, they don't come back to church for six months to a year, right? And so I'm, we're not going to go, what are you doing? You need to be this way or you need to be this. We're, we have to realize that that is very similar to how we're going to respond to this as a church. And there must be grace for everyone that's involved. And so we're going to think through this lens and try to care for you well. Some of you are introverts. And you're not sure that that's a great idea yet. You want to hold on. In fact, you would like the extroverts in your house to get out. You were, this pandemic, you were made for it, 
Like you're, you're enjoying that. Let's hold on. Let's just be sure. Right. And you've got extroverts that you're like, you're waiting, you're waiting for, you know, when it was Thursday at 5.01 uh, earlier, early past week or whatever, you're like, I'm out, I'm out the door. I just want to go find somebody and give them a hug. Right. And you're trying to, and you're like, hold on, is that legal yet? And you're, you're struggling with that aspect of it. You, you, you don't have to agree with the government to honor it. Right. You can disagree but you can still honor that. Peter talks about that later, and we'll, we'll get to that. Some of you have been laid off, or you've experienced um, family, extended family, or friends that have been laid off, and you just want to get the economy going again before worse things happen. I get that. Some of you have parents or relatives that are dealing with the direct results of the virus, and you're afraid. And, and I get that. And guess what? Both ends of the spectrum are in our church and I've had conversations with you and so how are we going to move in unity over the next few weeks and come together that's important because it will display and declare the gospel to the world and to each other is it the economy or is it protecting the weak and the vulnerable is it binary do we just choose one over the other? No, it's, it's a both and. I don't know the right answer. Nobody knows the exact right answer. Some will we'll have folks that will want to wear a mask, and, and then we'll have some folks that I think that's ridiculous. What are you doing wearing a mask? You're all falling for it. You're limbings off a cliff. And, and so how do we love one another? There'll be some people that want to come up and shake your hand, and, and some of you will be like, ah! You know, I actually had that moment yesterday. Somebody reached out to shake my hand. I'm like, should I do this? And I don't know. And I've got Purell in my back pocket. You know, I'm having, like, I'm having issues about shaking somebody's hand. Some of you are never going to want to shake a hand again. I, I get that too. And so here, here's the deal. Be prepared for awkward moments and just step into them. We're going to make mistakes. This is one of the things that's, that's not necessarily just about being right. We do want to be correct. We want to love God, and we want to be right, and we want to move forward, and we want to lead well. I just ask that you be gracious to one another to remember that. Romans 12 tells us to outdo one another in showing honor. What a timely verse. That this would be a great time for us to really live that, to remember who the real enemy is. The real enemy is prowling around like a lion from 1 Peter 5. It's not somebody that disagrees with you, however passionate they may disagree. They are not your enemy. We must speak with honor on social media toward one another. We must avoid moral language like, well, it's wrong to wear a mask, or it's right to wear a mask, or this, you know, and, and, and have that come across, especially in, in things that can be seen different ways. Many are passionate and and have strong convictions, but let's not abandon compassion for others and humility. Love covers a multitude of sins. And so I just simply ask, let's remember who we are, who Peter says we are, who the Word of God says we are, that we're children of the King. And let's just pray right now together. We're going to pray three things.